0: This week on Disaffected, we'll visit a courtroom with a jury that let off violent attackers from Antifa who beat a journalist. The defense attorney intimidated the jury with no apparent dissent from the judge. Then we'll examine how deeply the government has broken into our homes. The ban on incandescent light bulbs and the extortionate fine on anyone who sells them should scare your pants off. But first, we're going to take a look at the labeling of reasonable women as Karens. We'll discuss an article that says that we as a society need Karen back because she serves a social function, and we agree. But we're gonna introduce you to the reasonable woman that we really want back, and her name is Barbara. All that and more this week on Disaffected. Welcome to Disaffected. This is the show where we talk about politics, culture, and relationships through a psychological lens. From the heart of utopian Burlington, Vermont, I'm Joshua Slocum. The decline of modern manners is a mainstay topic on this show. I talk to you a lot about rude store clerks, the abandonment of road safety rules, the appalling way that people treat fellow customers, pedestrians, other drivers. And I'm not the only one who sees this. Twice this past week, I've stumbled on articles from people I've never heard of, but who could be living inside my head. Mike Solana of the blog Pirate Wires, it's a—it's on Substack, and yes, all of the articles that I refer to this week will be linked in the notes below this video. So Mike Solana writes the Pir- Pirate Wires Substack, and he's got an excellent piece this week called A Tale of Two Karens. Quote, You may have noticed on a plane or a train or a bus, the alarming new trend of grown adults who somehow believe it is acceptable to watch their phone or their tablet without their earbuds in, or you might consider sitting down for this one, to take a call on speakerphone. In a crowded public space, I live in Miami. So I won't linger on the sudden dearth of turn signals as I believe that bad driving is endemic to the region and possibly genetic. But leaf blowers do appear to be a national plague. And excuse me, what the hell is this? And this is this picture that he had accompanying it. It's a, for those of you who can't see a screen, it's a picture of a woman with um, manicured, no, excuse me, pedicured feet. Manny patty, manny patty pretty nails with her big old sparkly bare foot propped up out of her blanket on an airplane seat on the window. Yeah, I know. I know. It's, it's become normal to you because now you've seen it for five years, but it's not normal. It's bad behavior. It's uncivilized. What this is, is new normal. All public space is now your living room. All everyone else's space are belong to you. Everything that someone else is yours and yours individually. You need not modify any of your behavior in public. That's no longer required. Just make yourself at home wherever you happen to be. Back to Mike Solana. Quote, while I'm not a big fan of over-policing behavior on the internet, a world erected of essentially endless words you can curate in whatever manner you'd like, the real world appears to have a very different problem. Today, in these mean streets, I find myself praying for the apparition of a soccer mom who doesn't suffer fools. Amen, Mike. He goes on. Is it just me or is there been more cutting at the checkout line? More trash cans overflowing. More abysmal customer service. Here's the thing. We are a people hopelessly adrift without our busybody queen. He's talking about Karen. And... Deep down, if you're really honest, I think you know I'm right. Yes, Mike, you are right. It's not just you. You are right. Mike goes deeper than just noting and complaining about this, though. He highlights how behavior, what used to be normal social enforcement has now been made off limits. Normal social enforcement is now called abusive or inappropriate yes that's right it's another narcissistic reversal black for white bitter for sweet the proper complaint the real complaint about bad behavior that complaining and objecting that's the abuse saying no or i don't like that is abusive anything you do to restrict their ultimate unfettered freedom is an act of abuse you know it's true. All of you listening to me know this is true. Mike Solana thinks this is because we have canceled Karen. And he says that we need Karen back, that we need to listen to Karen and respect the social role that Karen plays. And uh, for those of you who may not be familiar with, with with this particular bit of online culture, Karen, of course, I know it's going to be obvious to most of you, but but... Please bear with me. There are some people that need explanations. Not everybody lives online 24-7 like I do. Uh, Karen is the, well, it's become something of a slur. I don't think it's a total slur the way a lot of people do, but I do think in some senses it is a slur. Uh, That's the name that has been given to people that we consider collectively um, entitled, narcissistic, bossy women who berate cashiers, uh, who call the police for no reason at all, um, but Karen is different things to different people. I believe that the the epithet Karen started in the black community. I believe it was black women uh, who wanted to um, have some way of uh, sarcastically pushing back on white women that they perceived to be racist and perceived to be um, getting outside of their place and trying to control other people. And I'm putting emphasis on the word perceived uh, because... Much of the behavior that I see being described as Karenism is is in no way inappropriate. It's simply, how dare you tell me not to do whatever I want? How dare you tell me not to blast my music in public? How dare you tell me not to walk around half naked like a prostitute in the grocery store? Karen, that's not. I mean, that's not something I recognize as as a legitimate uh, uh, complaint. You can't be be angry at that. Well, you can be, but you're you're full of it. Um, Let me go back to, to Mike Solana. So again, he says that we need to bring Karen back. Quote, but Karen is more than a strong woman. Karen embodies our enforcement of social norms, regardless of how often or not she misses her mark. And our recent taboo against such policing seems to denote a more troubling problem um, than my noisy theater crowd. And, and I didn't give you the quote, but he talked about some rude behavior in a cinema. It is increasingly not possible to identify common norms among our neighbors as we have more or less forgotten who our neighbors actually are, in many cases, literally. And he's right about that too. You know, I don't know the names of most of my neighbors. I did 15 years ago. Not now. Not now. Do you? Obviously, we're talking about the epithet Karen that's used to describe certain types of women. And I I want you to stay with me, please. This is not going where you think it's going. Um, It's more complicated than that. It's more nuanced. Mike has correctly identified a structural component of our declining public behavior that few people are noticing or commenting on. And that's the prohibition against noticing bad behavior and the absolute prohibition on ever objecting or ever correcting anyone, no matter what, no matter how bad their behavior and no matter how diffident and gentle and tiptoeingly you do it. It's an absolute prohibition. This is not normal. It's new normal. It's wicked and it's destructive, actually. It's cluster B. It is the devil walking among us. Those killjoys are just trying to stop me from having fun, right? That's the flip and glib response to this. Um, people seem to think that those of us who push back and insist on respectable civilized behavior um, somehow hate the people, or we don't respect them, or they don't we don't want them to live their best life. We just want to tell them what to do we think they're bad people Uh, you know it's well actually they think we are bad people they think we are wicked and oppressive people um, for not allowing them to fully and freely express themselves in any way they want in any context in public at any time and they want to to target people like us and take us out socially and they've had a great deal of success doing that they have there's a reason why I actually feel a little bit of social fear. I, I no longer ask for help from employees in stores. I won't do it, for a couple reasons. First of all, it will not get me any help. If I ask if they carry a certain item, the best I will get, the absolute best, will be a board rendition of, if we had it, it would be on aisle, blah, blah, blah. No. But the other reason I don't do it, Um, And it's not that I'm afraid of these people, actually. I mean, I'm not actually afraid of them. I do have social fear that's a little bit different, Um, but it's so frequent and it adds up so quickly that I can't stand even one small interaction like this anymore. The very act of asking for help is likely to provoke a hostile response, even if it's just a slight glare on the face or a slight turn in body language that says, you're disturbing me, don't be a customer. It's almost universal. I simply won't ask for help anymore. If I can't find the item, I assume the store doesn't have it. I walk out and go to another store. So this is, as I said, this is the devil walking among us. And we listen to the devil and we obey the devil. In Mike Solana's view, it's because we've kicked Karen out. I'm with Mike 99% of the way, but there is a place where I differ. Karen is not Barbara. I'm going to introduce you to Barbara. Barbara is a separate person. She's a different kind of woman. Karen is the cluster B. She's the narcissist and the histrionic. She's the eternal victim. She's the narcissistic, bossy woman who complains about not something reasonable, but simply so that she can express entitlement and domination over people in a social context. She's the director of a public health institution. She's the local activist organizer who spies on neighbors to see if they're composting and recycling. She's Gladys Kravitz. She's your neighbor, Gladys Kravitz. She's the customer who pitches a public fit because Safeway won't honor a buy one, get 16 free coupon that she clipped from the Sunday paper 35 years ago. (laughs) That's Karen, and we don't need Karen back, okay? To the extent that we have vanquished Karen, let's let her stay where we put her. But I propose that we need to make a place again for Barbara. Barbara is a grown-up, mature woman. Most often, but not always, she's a married mother. She likes people. She's invested in her community. She cares about her neighbors and their kids, as well as caring about her kids. She cares about her own family enough to make sure that her children are taught manners, boundaries, and when to be assertive and when to follow convention. She teaches discernment. Barbara used to be everywhere. Barbara taught me school in almost every class up until I reached high school. Barbara was also the librarian that I knew, the bookmobile librarian, the school librarian. She had an eye for bookworm kind of kids like me, and she always knew exactly the author or the series to recommend, and she was always right. But she suffered no shenanigans, no baloney. And Barbara, the librarian, looked over her glasses several times and gave me that look. It's this one. You know it. When I laughed too loud in the library, when I caught up too much. Not because Barbara was a bitch. She's not a bitch. Because she was right. And that's her job. I grew to have so much affection for and trust in Barbara's because they were a really big part of my life in childhood. They were really... Good part of my life. In my youth, Barbara was also most kids' mother on the block where you played, in the neighborhood. The early 80s were the last gasp of a world in which children had some modicum of freedom. We could get on our bikes, and the only thing that the, the only rule we needed to follow was we needed to be back by dinner time or by dusk. Um, but also, the 80s were the last gasp of a world in which children and adults had different places in a social hierarchy. And by the way, that is the correct world. And it's universal. It's human. What we're doing now today, elevating the social status of youth over and above old people is a reversal of the natural order. No, I'm not saying it necessarily comes from God. Maybe you think it comes from God. I do think it comes from human nature. Societies that elevate the status of youth and degrade the status of the elderly have something pathologically wrong with them. It's a reversal. When we kids went too far playing on the block, someone's mom was always going to come out on the front stoop and call us to account. You want to scream obscenities on the street? You want to rough up another kid's bike and take it from him? You're going to throw a basketball and hit somebody's window? You better watch out because Mrs. Barbara Jones, who is your buddy Jim's mom, would be out on the porch and then out on the street confronting you. What do you think you're doing, Joshua? What would your mother say if she heard you talking that way? Which is kind of funny because, (laughs) as I've said before, when my mother said to me one day when I said uh, some obscenity, where did you learn to talk like that? I literally said, from listening to you. And I was right. (laughs) Where where do you think I learned to talk that way, woman? (laughs) Let's leave it. The point is that Jim's mom, Barbara, was everybody's mom if you were a kid in that context. She was an adult, a grown-up lady, a missus, and somebody that you listened to respectfully, the way you listened to grown-up moms and dads, and you did as you were told when you were corrected. When they scolded you for cause, you knew deep down that they were right, and they threw just enough fear of God into you to leave a lesson that would curb your antisocial behavior in the future. That's how it used to work. This is non-abuse. In fact, it might not be going too far to call it an act of community love. Mrs. Jones didn't hate you, even if she scolded you, that didn't mean she hated you. And you didn't hate Mrs. Jones after you got a tongue lashing, after you got over the initial embarrassment. You were still invited to come have spaghetti supper at Jim's house. Everything was fine. And and more, your parents would be on Barbara Jones's side. If she called your mother and reported your bad behavior, you would have to answer to mom and dad when you got home. And my, how the worm is turned. Have you tried to correct a misbehaving child in any capacity within the past 20 years in public? I have, but I don't do it anymore. Because there's a very good chance that I will get a string of obscenities from that child's mother whose name is Brittany. If not a call to the police for abusing her ill-mannered brat. She made him that way. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. 11-year-old Kaden can grab another kid's ball, push her down onto the ground, or even call that kid, or you, the grown-up, a dick. I hear kids talking this way. And Mom Brittany will defend that little brat. Right to your face, how dare you tell my precious baby anything, you bastard. That's what you expect today from parents. This isn't just bad behavior, it's antisocial behavior. And yes, I do mean to tie it conceptually in your mind to clinical antisocial traits because that is often where this ends up in a few years. Antisocial traits are now normalized. They're often publicly praised. They're elevated. They have elevated social status. Barbara is yesterday's normal, sane, stable productive citizen and parent. David, her husband, was the male counterpart. Barbara and David are not allowed to exist anymore. They've been made socially illegal. They are abusers because they won't put up with abuse from other people. We need Barbara back. We need David back, too. I want, I want to rescue the concept of the rational, normal, stable, grown-up woman from the cheap charge of Karenism. That really makes me angry. In, you know, when it's used that way, when, and and it is, it is. Even women who make reasonable complaints and say, I'm not gonna play along with new normal, they're called Karen. When it's used that way, it's a calumny. It's a slur against normal, decent, ordinary women who are in the social right, grown up women. To the degree that Karen is sometimes a slur on white women specifically, It's because it characterizes this normal and reasonable uh, pro-social behavior as somehow overbearing or or getting too big for her britches. Even even complaints that would have been normal 10 years ago, just 10 years ago, such as, please take your bare feet off my movie seat, is now called being a Karen. Nonsense. Reversal. Social narcissistic abuse. And I want to say something else, too. Um, I know that sometimes... Uh, some of the audience perceives my commentary to be anti-woman. It's not. Some of that is, is my responsibility and some of it is for sure my style. I, I pop off a lot. Um, I often come off strong and I come off harsh. I know this. Um, sometimes I should do a better job of making it clear that I'm talking about a certain kind of woman, a not, not a certain kind of female typical behavior, not women in total. It's not women as women that I am criticizing mainly. Yes, yes, I know, stipulated and admitted. I do criticize normal female typical behavior sometimes because it's out of balance with male typical behavior. But I don't hate women and I'm not anti-woman. But some of that reaction is not my responsibility. Some of that is the responsibility of the audience. Some of it is oversensitivity, particularly oversensitivity on the part of women um, I often do make it very clear and specific what kind of female behavior I'm talking about. I, I do the thing that, that um, the commenters, who's cl- they claim I didn't do it. Yeah, I actually did. You just didn't want to hear that I did. Um, I give the context. And some, some women still accuse me of grossly exaggerated anti-woman sentiment and even misogyny, which is laughable. I think that we, all of us, but particularly women today, have all been trained to react much more strongly to criticism of women, even deserved criticism, than we ever react to criticism of men. Women as a whole, um, decent women, All, all women in Western society to some degree have absorbed this value now. They're not bad women. They're not narcissistic women. They're normal, perfectly sane and reasonable women. But they are oversensitive to this because of the culture that we're all swimming around in. And it didn't used to be that way within living memory. That sensitivity, if you'll pardon the expression, is a learned microtrauma. Unlearn it. One of the most satisfying parts for me of coming out on the other side of a wholesale change in my political and moral outlook is the new friends that I have made and the new kinds of people I'm discovering the kinds of people that I didn't even know existed until I changed my mind, or that I knew existed but I wrote off as enemies without talking to them because I was part of the leftist cult. There are millions of women around us who are not Karen. They are Barbara. They've never been Karen. They're not entitled princesses. They don't hate men. They don't resent their sons. Not only that, they feel just as hemmed in and oppressed by the actual Karens as men like me do. They too want no part of vindictive victim feminism, and they recognize that it's actually men and boys today who are on the cultural back foot. These women have legitimate interests of their own. Among them are the rights to enter, to either choose a career or to choose to be a professional, full time, stay at home mom and homemaker without being looked down on or pitied. They have the right to a locker room or a bathroom without perverted, psychiatrically disturbed men in frocks muscling into the ladies' loo for purposes of getting an erection. It's a reasonable expectation. They are not Karen. They are not bitches. They are not too picky. They do not deserve the stick they get from nasty leftist men and women. And we would all do well to remind ourselves of that more often. We need these women. It's part of human nature, I believe that women have a primary role in forming our social minds and our behavior as children. They also have a natural social role in maintaining positive, healthful, pro-social community norms, religious, civic, and otherwise. We need Barbara. If I were the lady marrying type of man, I'd want to marry Barbara and have kids with her. I want Barbara running my town library. I want Barbara teaching the children in my community. I want Barbara running the church food pantry. I want Barbara overseeing the city park cleanup effort. I think a lot of people want her back and they want her in those roles too. Let's show Barbara the respect that she actually deserves because I think our societal cohesion depends on it. Before we go on a break, I wanna tell you uh, an anecdote about what may be, maybe, a slight shift in the tone and atmosphere where I live in Burlington, I went to the barber shop the other day, um, and it struck me while I was sitting there. Um, this is an old school barber shop. My barber's name is Clay. He's my age, about forty-eight, forty-nine. Um, he's run that place for years. It, it's a it's walk-in. There's no appointments. You you walk in. You sit down in chairs. You read magazines. You talk with the other guys or not, and you take your turn. There were about six of us in there, one guy in the chair and five of us sitting around. <laughs> Listen to me. I sound like, I sound like some, some bloody hospital drama. Yeah, they were in the waiting room in chairs. <laughs> um, and I heard a conversation that I was flabbergasted to hear. The barber was talking to his customer, uh, who was a gentleman who looked to be in his 70s. And uh, the barber um, has four kids, three, three girls and a boy. Uh, And his girls have always been sports girls. So all the years I've been going there, we hear about their soccer practices, their meetups, their out-of-state matches. And he was talking about the fact that his girls now and their peers in high school are being expected to play on sports teams with males, men, well, boys, teenage boys, and that he's not, he's having none of it. He is not having it. He's not having the bullshit. He's not going to call them trans girls. Um, And the conversation was basically... You're a man or a woman. If you've got a Y chromosome, you're a man. You're not a girl. You know, this da-da-da-da-da. And these two gentlemen were talking back and forth very candidly as if we didn't live in 2023 and as if it weren't, the social police weren't about to come. It was so refreshing. And, you know, yes, naturally, I jumped into the conversation specifically to signal support to them and to, to, to give that signal to all the other men in the room, too. I want to normalize this. Um, And it occurred to me that this conversation was only possible because this was a male-only space. The barbershop is one of the last male-only spaces. We have become, and especially those of us who are concerned about woke, our attention has rightly been turned to the ways in which women um, are actually placed in physical danger, because men are more physically dangerous to women than the other way around. This is asymmetrical, the sexes are different. Women are actually in physical danger by not having private intimate spaces like change rooms, locker rooms, um, you know, multi-stall bathrooms with only women in them. Um, but we are so focused on that and, and society, and try to bring this up, try to bring this up even in sophisticated company, even in based company sometimes, that men have been men are basically not allowed to have male only spaces because every time they do there's a lawsuit from some woman in feminist organization that claims well this is where political power actually happens and you're actually legally discriminating against us if you won't let us into the club so blah, blah 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 and the courts just say okay fine men don't get to congregate without women you're a disgusting hypocritical chauvinist pig that is real that is universal it is what has happened and if you did do you feel a little uh are you a little angry about that a couple of you i know you will be but think about that instead of being just angry why are you angry do you recognize that it's true because it is true i'm not making it up and if you do recognize that it's true i think you're able to take the next step and recognize that it isn't fair and saying that is not a slur against women so again back in proportion um but the, and we really have to go to a break, but the, the one thing I did notice, and I'm not sure about this, I'm doing some mind reading, so I'm not going to put a lot of stock in this, but my impression was the older men, the middle-aged men to the elderly men, even if they weren't participating in the conversation, from, from their body posture and the way that they were paying attention, seemed to agree with this. The younger men looked scared. The guys in their 20s, the college-age guys, their eyes were wide. They were sitting really still. They weren't moving. They looked like they were afraid to sit. Se- like if I'd walked up to them and tapped them on the shoulder, they would have gone. Ha, ha, ha. What is wrong with us men? Why are we like this? There's a clear generational difference, but it's not just generational. There are plenty of Gen X and older men who won't say boo either. I think it has a lot to do with the fact that we live in this, that I live in this really liberal area. But men, men, we got to step up. You gotta stop being so afraid of offending women. Because the kind of women that you're gonna offend are Karen, not Barbara. Talk for Barbara, not Karen. All right, we're going to a break. I want to remind you, if you're not subscribed on Rumble, now is the time to get it done because we're putting out Rumble-exclusive content. And of course, that may end up being our home when YouTube decides that we are verboten. Uh, it doesn't cost anything, but you do need to sign up and get a Rumble account if you want to interact with folks there in the comments. Uh, so visit us at rumble.com forward slash C slash disaffected and come back after the break. can't get enough of our love baby that's because you're not subscribed move that thumb over to the great big old subscribe button on your podcast app so you never miss an episode we put out audio only exclusive content that you won't get on any other video platform so make sure you subscribe today looking for a non-woke place to put your money where your mouth is put it where my mouth is Disaffected supporters get access to our private Discord chat server, backstage episode recording sessions, surprise guests, and more, and all it takes is $10 a month. You've got two options, either Substack, visit us at disaffectedpod.substack.com, or go over to subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Remember, choose the $10 level or higher for Discord access. Was journalist Andy No getting the tar beat out of him by Antifa? It's not the only time it's happened. I don't know if it's this particular incident that we're looking at, but in one of them, they beat him so hard he got a brain injury. They gave him brain damage. Why? Because he tells the truth and he reports on the sociopathic nature of Antifa. They are terrorists, they are anarchists, they are dangerous. The breakdown of social norms is not confined to the kind of light behavior I was talking about in the last sentence. It's this stuff you see here on the street, but worse, the values that allow this to happen have infiltrated our institutions at the highest levels. We are in real legal danger. Let's go to Let's go, to a, let's go to Andy Noe's case in Oregon. This week, he lost his civil case against Antifa and a couple of its members. He lost. Some Antifa sociopaths who beat him up got let off scot-free. They're on your screen right now. On the left is one of the defendants in the middle, is Andy Noe, and on the right is one of the other defendants. Don't be fooled by that little sort of holly-hobby, Polly Flinders top she's wearing. That woman isn't a soft and gentle neighborhood lady, and neither is that man. Andy No sued these two. He's suing some others in uh, Oregon Antifa as well for battery, assault, and a variety of other complaints. Well, the jury dismissed all of the evidence that he was actually, in fact, beaten up. They can see what you can see. They can see it. They dismissed it. They let the attackers off. If this were a criminal trial, we would say they were acquitted, but it's just a civil trial, so they were simply held not liable. They do not have to pay him any damages for anything they did to him. Andy No works often with the post-millennial, the online newspaper. He covers Antifa's rioting, their property destruction, sometimes their murders. That's all been his beat. He is fearless. He posts their mugshots and the crimes that they've been charged with. Public record, he simply posts the things after he's covered it on the street. For this, Antifa and their lawyers call him a doxer. Yeah, that's right. Oh, you're giving out personal information. You're putting people in danger. You're doxing them. You're putting them in danger by putting up their mugshots. These people, it is. I'm. I'm. Ooh. I want. I'm. I'm. I'm moderating myself right now because this. This makes me angry on a really visceral level. It makes me angry in a way that makes me fantasize about inflicting physical violence. That's how angry it makes me because it is that wicked it's that twisted it's devilish it's psychopathic literally clinically <sighs> between these ridiculous accusations that Andy know has does bad behavior on the internet and is asking for it and the defense attorney for the antifa members who engaged in clear and obvious juror intimidation in the courtroom. They were able to completely co-opt the court in the legal process and leave Andy with nothing. These sociopathic freaks won. They are now emboldened. They are emboldened to hurt more people, and they may kill some people. They have the court's blessing, and they have the jury's blessing. I'm going to quote to you from the Millennial's coverage. Quote, Andy No filed a complaint in Portland, Oregon, in 2020, claiming assault and other injuries over alleged acts of violence carried out by members of Antifa, which began in 2019. Defendants John Colin Hacker and Elizabeth Renee Richter, you saw them on your screen a moment ago, have been accused by senior editor of Postmillennial, Andy No, of assault, battery, and intentional infliction of emotional distress. This was argued before a civil jury for more than a week at the Multnomah County Courthouse. Then what happened? More from the post-millennial. Defendants Hacker and Richter, who allegedly work as Antifa's doxers, which after identifying Andy No, have led to a series of physical beatings on May 28, 2021. They were found by the jury on Tuesday not liable for all of these claims. Evidence provided during the trial along with testimony given by both defendants, asserts Noe's claims in the complaint. Let me clarify the prose here. Uh, when the author says asserts Noe's claims, what she's saying is they admitted, the defendants, the accused, admitted that Andy Noe's claims were true. Yeah. Amazing, huh? According to the Post Millennial, the defense attorney herself even admitted that her clients were violent. Quote, however, as she argued before the jurors, Ms. Burroughs admitted that the, quote, black-clad people that had physically beaten No were in fact, quote, terrorists. That's their defense attorney. She said they were terrorists. Blink, blink. If you are trying to figure out how that set of facts led to this outcome in the case, I too am trying to figure that out. but it's okay that they're terrorists. And it's a very good thing that they did what they did because Andy knows not a very nice boy. He's not nice. He doesn't leave people alone to do what they want. He doesn't let them be anonymous. He's got dirty hands, as the defense attorney said. quote the defense attorney went on to say that journalist Andy Ngo has dirty hands. She indicated that Ngo is a doxer as well because he uploads publicly available mugshots of Antifa-affiliated individuals that have committed tri- crimes on his Twitter account, which has over a million followers. This defense attorney, Michelle Burroughs, told the jury, of course, as I said before, uh, that he's got dirty hands, he's a bad boy, uh, behaves badly on the internet, by which, he, by which she means that he accurately reports on the violent and criminal activities of the people that she is defending. The chilling part is what happened at the end of the trial from Postmillennial. Before closing statements, Judge Sinoplasai informed the court that the trial's jurors have raised concerns about being doxed and claimed that people have been trying to find out their identities. These are the jurors saying we're scared. The judge then enacted even stricter safety measures than what had already been ordered for the trial. But at the end of the trial, defense attorney Michelle Burroughs stood up in front of the jury and said, I am Antifa. And then this, quote, after announcing her retirement, and that this would be her last trial, Burroughs told jurors that she will, quote, remember each one of their faces, end quote. Burroughs did not take the time to provide evidence as to why the two defendants should be free from charges, but rather used the time to defend anti-fascism and attack Noah's credibility as a journalist. This is the United States legal system in 2023. I hope you like it. Time for some viewer mail. Comments, I want to uh, give some reaction to comments that we got from last week's show. The most comments came in about our segment on Sinead O'Connor. And in that segment, I, and I believe correctly, um, identified Sinead O'Connor as having very obvious and very severe borderline personality disorder. Um, The segment was not a hatchet job. It was actually very balanced. Yes, I do say so myself. It was balanced. I told the audience, I told you, that I have great sympathy for the abuse that she went through and I understand why she became the psychiatric mess that she became. But I'm also very angry with her, at a distance, for the abuse that she has heaped on other people, particularly her family and her children. It's not a black and white issue. It's complicated. Not, not for superfans. Never for super fans, and th- this stuff is typical. These kinds of comments, you will see them anytime somebody's favorite celebrity and it's almost always a woman celebrity, almost always a narcissistic or unstable woman celebrity who is being defended. The worst offenders are the Beyonce fans, the Madonna fans, and yes, believe it or not, there's a lot of them still out there, the Joan Crawford fans. They're insane. and I mean that literally, like they're they're unbalanced. I I was going to show you some of the comments. I could only capture one. I don't know what happened. I don't know if the commenters deleted their comments themselves, uh, which I find unlikely because several of them left uh, repeated comments. They were very angry with me. Uh, Or perhaps YouTube deleted them. YouTube randomly deletes comments underneath our video Uh, We have no idea why. We can't predict which ones. They don't seem to fit any filters or algorithms. No, we don't get a notification as the account owner's YouTube doesn't – there's not a spot we can log into and see which ones they've taken away. It just happens. It just happens. So most of them disappeared before I had a chance to screenshot them, and most of them were actually bordered on abusive. I mean, not that words on a screen can hurt me, but in that context. Here's, Here's one. Here's one of the milder ones. J.F.C., that stands for a profanity. What self-righteous claptrap? Y'all can spew whatever horse shit you like in order to make yourself feel better. But Sinead has a sort of Joan of Arc legacy behind her that none of y'all can compete with. That was a mild comment. The other comments were, who do you think you are? Um, You abusive person, you abusive man um Sinead didn't have borderline she had bipolar she had bipolar and I asked I asked one of them how do you how do you know that why do you believe that she had bipolar because she said so on TV yeah I know I don't believe her you shouldn't believe her either as a reminder the most commonly misdiagnosed set of mental conditions is the confusion between bipolar disorder which is it's manic depression okay manic depression, and borderline personality disorder. Why are they so often confused? Because they have, well, first of all, since the switch to the new uh, euphemism bipolar disorder, they have the same acronym, the same initialism, BPD. Uh, So that's an obvious confusion. I have a stunningly hard time believing that the coiners didn't anticipate that. The second reason is because both those who suffer from manic depression and borderline personality disorder have extremely unstable moods. They, they go from suicidal despair to almost religious elation. Um, but there's a very big couple of differences. One is that manic depression is not a personality disorder. It is in fact, although it is sometimes difficult, it is in fact more treatable and responds to some drug medications. That's not the case with cluster B personality disorders. Number two, a manic depressive goes in cycles that happen over weeks. They might be really manic and really high for a couple weeks, then they'll slide down into anhedonia and then they'll go down to full suicidal depression over weeks. The borderline does it in minutes, hours, or days. It's a very, very easy rule of thumb, quick test to distinguish them. Um, but, you know, as this com- commenter said, um, you know, a, well, a lot of a lot of these comments, they, accru- they accused me of being cruel, um, ignorant. Um, I didn't know what I was talking about, that I was malicious. I mean, these people need to create this character. They're creating the drama triangle. I have to be the persecutor. This is how they, this is how they understand and relate to the world. Um, and as you see, the one You know, they're trying to make a saint out of her, as they usually do with these kind of borderline women. They called her a Joan of Arc. Um, It's typical pushback from uh, celebrity worshipers. Um, And many of them claim she didn't abuse her children. How can I know that she abused her children? How dare I even speculate? I'm not speculating. Not spec. Well, actually, I am. And yes, yes, I am allowed to speculate. I do not apologize for speculating. It is informed speculation. I'm good at this. I have expertise, even if I don't have a degree. I know what I'm talking about and I know what I see. Um, But we don't even have to speculate because we have videotape of Sinead O'Connor screaming, crying, screaming at the camera, naming her children and saying filthy things about them. This is real. It happened in the real world. It exists on videotape. We don't have to speculate. I want to share with you another perspective. Um, I'm not going to give you her name, but I got a letter by email uh, from a longtime online friend. I've known this woman probably seven or eight years. We've corresponded for years and years and years. Uh, We've never met in person, but I know her about as well as you can know somebody online in that context, and I trust her. She's a uh, professional woman in her mid-60s. Like many people, several people commented uh, about the Sinead piece. And um, uh, uh, many people actually knew her. They either knew her in childhood or they knew her in town. I I guess when she was in Ireland, she wasn't one of those people who was walled off by a bunch of celebrity managers. You know, you ran into her at the grocery store. You know, sometimes she'd have parties over at her houses. So there were a lot of people that had some real-life contact with her. My friend actually happened to know her uh, for decades. I'm going to read her letter to you. Sinead's memorial gathering is being held here in my town today. The mountain nearby has been emblazoned with her name in white stones. It's visible from the sky to any flight. Though it is genuinely sad to lose her, the outpouring from many of her fellow borderline personality disorder fans will be visible today. That may sound harsh, but I drove past her home the day after she killed herself. There is no other likely cause of death. These people were wailing and tearing at their clothes. They looked deranged. It's a sad death, though. She was so, so beautiful and talented. Anytime I met her socially, she was actually a really funny woman, even if her jokes were quite cruel. She could observe tiny details about your life, store them away, and haul them out at the right moment to humiliate you for laughs years later. She really, really didn't like women. She would be all over my husband while I sat beside him It was interesting to observe. Let's not forget her love of Irish troons here either. Troon being um, an epithet for trans women, men in dresses who call themselves women. Let's not forget her love of Irish troons either. She donated her makeup and girly clothes to the hairy Irish men in leather miniskirts who hang around one of the activist groups here. I remember visiting her, uh, her home after her last son was born. A really beautiful little boy who looked just like her, named Yeshua. She had a list of extremely complex instructions for the care of her baby that were pinned on the fridge for the nanny. In parentheses, four kids, four different nannies. Six long pages detailing every possible issue and its solution. You could see the acute awareness and sensitivity to her infant's needs, but to the point of obsession. Yet she was not there. Nannies, right? Her eldest daughter has escaped largely unscathed. She was raised by a smart, conservative, boundaried Christian dad named John Waters. Someone the Irish media loves to call a far-right conspiracy theorist, anti-trans, anti-vaxxer. I see that one of your commentators tried to say Sinead cared about her children and didn't abuse them. Not true. How could she not have? On a car journey with her toddler on board, she lit a giant blunt and refused my request to put it out or open a window. I got out and I took my ride in the car behind, not before telling her what I thought. Oddly, it seemed to earn me some respect in her eyes afterwards, briefly. I find the media outpouring of grief over her death odd here. She was vilified and ridiculed by those same people while she lived, but it's always the same in a cluster B culture. All right. Last one we're going to look at before we take our next break. Um, traffic deaths in Portland, Oregon. There was a meeting recently in front of it might have been the city council in Portland, some other government body um, with both uh, cyclists and motorists um, uh, complaining and and really begging people to obey traffic rules out of safety because the number of traffic deaths has gone up significantly in Portland. And I'm sure that is the case in many other places. I'm sure it's the case here in Burlington. Um This story is from the paper, The Oregonian. Uh, So there's a meeting with the government over the rise in traffic deaths. And as usual, it was highly politicized. Uh, The largely hostile audience uh, was made up mainly of self-identified bicyclists, cycling activists. This set has constructed a drama uh, triangle where the bicyclists are the persecuted, the motorists who drive cars are the persecutors, and the government is the savior. And the city officials, according to the Oregonian, spoke about the need for drivers to slow down, not to drive drunk, all the usual sorts of things. But the histrionic bike people did exactly what you would expect them to do. Quote As they spoke, Ted Bueller of Portland lay on the cement in poses mimicking a cyclist hit by a car, changing positions every five to ten minutes. you stupid silly drama queens (laughs) all right we're coming up on a break um be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast app for our audio only episodes you're not going to find them on rumble or youtube and this is timely because we've got one coming out this week titled cluster bike activism uh we had a conversation i had a conversation with a disaffected member and supporter Uh, who has a really sensible view of the relationship between motorists and cyclists um, and has become very disenchanted. He's a bicyclist himself, very disenchanted with the narcissistic behavior that's taken over biking advocacy. And that's going to be coming out this week. And if you want to help us produce this show, we would love to have your production help you want to support us, there's a couple of easy ways to do it. One, go to Substack, disaffectedpod.substack.com, or if you prefer, go to subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Our writing goes up on, on both of those places, and the perk that you get if you join as a paying subscriber is you get access to our Discord, our private Discord server, and actually the members got to listen to that episode that we're releasing this week. We let you in to uh, hear the, the backstage stuff and the conversation, so if that's a piece to you. We'd love to have your help. And if you just want to give us a little one-time help, it's very gratefully received. Send us a gift at PayPal. Use the email address us at disaffected.fm. I'll see you after the break. Can't get enough of our love, baby. That's because you're not subscribed. Move that thumb over to the great big old subscribe button on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. We put out audio only exclusive content that you won't get on any other video platform, so make sure you subscribe today. Looking for a non-woke place to put your money where your mouth is? Put it where my mouth is. Disaffected supporters get access to our private Discord chat server, backstage episode recording sessions, surprise guests, and more. And all it takes is $10 a month. You've got two options. Either Substack, visit us at disaffectedpod.substack.com, or go over to subscribestar.com disaffected. Remember, choose the $10 level or higher for Discord access. Welcome back. We've talked a lot about um, euphemisms, new terminology, substituting words, um, ambiguous meanings, and they do have actual real-world outcomes. And there's a great example from the UK newspaper The Telegraph this week. It's a story about what a huge percentage of the population in the UK does not understand what transgender terminology actually means, and in really substantive ways. So um, the highlights of this are that a third of all people, I I think they commissioned a, a survey, a third of all people surveyed didn't understand that the term trans woman, which of course means a man in a dress who claims to be a woman, they didn't understand that trans woman does not mean someone who was born female, but who claims to be male. They think trans woman means that's an actual woman, a woman with breasts and vagina who decided to be transgender. That's a serious, it's not their fault. I mean, this is confusing deliberately. But do you see the consequences of that confusion? When they hear the word trans woman, they're thinking actual female and that has knock-on consequences. Their red flag radar won't ping. Their danger radar won't ping because they think they're talking about a woman. Convenient, isn't it? Yes, it's conscious. Yes, the people doing this language massaging mean this to happen. This is why you're not allowed to ask questions. You're not even allowed to ask questions about which is the proper terminology that's showing a disturbing lack of faith. They're counting on you, not understanding terms, so that you think that you are voting for something the Opposite of what you're really voting for, whether you're pulling a lever or answering a question in a survey or on a man on the street interview. It also explains why these activists react so hysterically when you ask a question, because the actual goal is to prevent clarity and introduce the Tower of Babel. Here's a quote from the Telegraph story. More than a third of U.K. residents do not know that transgender women are biologically male, according to a poll. Calling into question public understanding of the debate over gender, campaigners said that uh, the findings showed politicians, journalists, and pollsters needed to be more explicit when speaking about gender issues, as in many cases, the members of the public did not know what politically correct terms meant. (laughs) <laughs> oh, you sweet summer children. They need to be more explicit. You have no idea who you're dealing with. What is this, a bunch of people who think there's good in everybody? Oh, they mean well. They don't understand. They're confusing people. Good God almighty. Um, I'll read you a little bit more. Um the, the organization, I think, that conducted the poll said several bodies, such as the BBC, regularly use the terms without further explanation. For example, in stories about transgender participation in sports or the debate over self-identification. In many cases, the terms were adopted as a result of lobbying from trans rights activists who often claim it is discriminatory and offensive to refer to a transgender person's actual biological sex. However, the polling company said the results of its polls showed there were, quote, high levels of misunderstanding and confusion, end quote, about the terms and that there was a need for language to be more explicit. But they're not going to do that. The language isn't going to get more explicit. The ambiguity is deliberate. It's a conscious choice. The activists have made clarity and asking questions off-limits and socially verboten. They characterize the very asking of questions as itself abusive. This is Cluster B, in case you didn't pick up on that. Here's an example. Quote The proportion of people who correctly said the term that the terms referred to someone born male was 65% for the term transgender woman and 60% for trans woman. Hmm. A lot of people didn't know. That means that about a third of these people think trans woman means an actual female when in fact it means the opposite. This serves the activist purpose because it takes advantage of the way humans naturally perceive the difference between men and women. Because actual women are, in fact, less physically dangerous. That's exactly what these Troons want. It's brilliant, isn't it? It's wicked. It's depraved. And it is utterly brilliant. Turning to Matters Electric... You probably know about the recent United States ban on incandescent light bulbs. Um, And this is part of a cycle, an activist cycle that never makes any sense over the long term and thinks only of particular political short term goals. Whatever appliance or technology is considered dirty or contaminating at the moment, right now, today in year 2023, that's the thing that's going to get banned. Ban it. There's no long-term thinking. There's no acknowledgement that every choice is a trade-off. There's no such thing as a free lunch. There's no such thing as a perfect choice. Uh, Look at the push uh, that started happening about 10 to 15 years ago to get us away from incandescent bulbs to compact fluorescents, CFLs. These contain mercury. Incandescent bulbs don't contain mercury. You know what they contain? A vacuum. (laughs) (laughs) these cfls are hard to dispose of safely because when they're broken open mercury vapor comes out i don't know the degree to it and i'm betting i'm betting that the danger is probably exaggerated by activists but we know that it's a fact that mercury is a dangerous heavy metal it is a contaminant um so these are much much more poisonous long term uh, in terms of disposal than incandescents ever were um they're not a threat to the environment on disposal incandescent bulbs uh, you know, beyond, you know, the, the waste of glass and and the tungsten element, et cetera. But then, and this happened last year in Vermont, happened in other places, too. All of a sudden last year, CFLs were banned. They became dirty. The thing that they told us would make us virtuous, would make us responsible and would do a good thing for Lady Mother Earth. They didn't even acknowledge that they treated CFLs that way. They just said they're dirty and they're banned. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, so all that time pushing for the CFLs because they're energy efficient without acknowledging the trade-off of their envir- their actual environmental problem, that all went out the window. All of a sudden, CFLs are now banned in the state of Vermont. Uh, we, and now, all of us, all of us around the country, now we have to, because of the government, uh, purchase LED light bulbs, light emitting diodes. It is amazing do you know what the fine is under this federal? It's not a law, actually. It's, it's an agency regulation, and I hope to God that we get a Republican president in who makes it his job to do what Joe Biden did, but in reverse. It, Joe Biden ripped up and reversed the actual, reasonable, rational, sensible executive orders and regulations by Donald Trump starting on his first day in office. We need a Republican to do the same and get rid of this shit. The federal government is now fining any manufacturer or retailer who produces incandescent bulbs $542 per bulb. Are you getting it yet? This coercion? These people. There's no end to this intrusion into the private sphere. There's no end to it they're accelerating. This stuff is happening faster now than it's ever happened before. If you think that this is just, you know, mommy government's making, you know, she's helping me with consumer savings and my energy efficiency. Oh, huh? yeah, right. Well, how 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 much more how f- much farther into your home do you want to invite the federal government? You know, the federal government in Vermont believes that it has a place in my kitchen. It's the law in this state. I am legally obligated as a citizen not to throw my food scraps away. I have to compost them, the law says. I can't just dispose of them differently. I have to turn them into compost. I have an affirmative duty to compost. Fuck that. I'm not doing it. I've never done it, and I never will. I won't do anything the government tells me in my own kitchen, and I dare you to get on my property. You'll find out. please please you don't have to be me you don't have to be a loud mouth like me but please stop laying down for this stop bending over and spreading your cheeks for this your home is your castle <clears throat> last thing we're going to talk about are librarians and this is not the kind barber librarian <laughs> this is the american library association this is from fox news um <laughs> this headline self-declared Marxist library group chief stunned by backlash as state polls fund funding to the American Library Association so um I'll read to you from the story Ooh, I can't wait for summer to be over it's hot again in here I got a blot pull my face off <laughs> my face <laughs> The new president of the American Library Association is a proud, happy lesbian Marxist, but she, (laughs) oh no, this isn't, this is me. I was like, is Fox this sarcastic? No, it's not, it's me. (laughs) Okay. The new president of the American Library Association is a proud, happy lesbian Marxist, (laughs) but she has a sad, because not everybody thinks she's the really good girl that she thinks she is. Take a look at her on your screen. This is your proud Marxist lesbian. Isn't she lovely? This is actually text from Fox News. American Library Association President Emily Drabinsky. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> she said she didn't anticipate the backlash she would receive for declaring herself a Marxist in a tweet shortly after she was elected to the role of the presidency of the American Library Association. From Emily, quote, I was excited to highlight and celebrate two aspects of my identity that are really important to me and are often under a lot of scrutiny. Yeah, because you keep shoving them in face, Durbinsky said in an interview published by NBC News. Her first since taking office as the president of the L.A., Last month, the comments come amid continued controversy over a social media post Drabinski made last year shortly after being elected to lead the ALA, the largest nonprofit trade organization for libraries, declaring herself at the time a, quote, Marxist lesbian quote from Emily I just cannot believe that a Marxist lesbian who believes that collective power is possible to build and can be wielded for a better world is the president elect of the American Library Association Drabinski wrote in the post which has since been deleted I am so excited for what we will all do together solidarity and my mom is all capital letters so proud I love you mom (laughs) oh my god well then came red states quote the post ignited a movement in states such as arizona georgia idaho illinois louisiana south carolina and wyoming to press their state libraries to to defund or cut ties with the ala one such effort in montana was successful with the montana state library commission voting last month to withdraw from the ala over dravinsky's marxist beliefs here's a quote from the montana state library commission our oath of office and resulting duty to the constitution forbids association with an organization led by a marxist boom more of that please that brings us to the end of the show Visit us again at disaffectedpod.substack.com for our essays and musings, or at subscribestar.com/disaffected. If you become a supporter at either place, you get access to our private Discord chat server and backstage recording events and special events. Find us on Twitter with the handle @disaffectedpod, and don't forget to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. We are releasing audio-only episodes again, so be sure to subscribe and and hit the little notification button to make sure you never miss one. This has been disaffected, which does not have wardrobe provided by Botany 5000. Have a great week.